Once again, it's my privilege and honor to be able to stand before you and to bring to you a portion of God's Word. It's been a, a beautiful day. Started out with some rain. Got to drive through the rain down to Branson. By the time I got there, the sun started peeking out. And it's because I got there. I knew I got there and there were, I was going to get my wife and the sun was just shining because I'm picking up my wife and everything's just brighter and better and we came back here and we got to go eat with Casey and Rhonda. They fed us out at the, the new bistro here across the interstate. Excellent meal tonight. We enjoyed that so much. Brother Rex, appreciate you leading the singing. I've enjoyed singing with him. The singing's been beautiful to my ear, and I know because it's been according to what the Bible says that it's been pleasing to God. And Brother Kerry, appreciate the, the, the prayer. I'm trying to find him. Prayer tonight, uh, so much. I've known the, the Kerry family since back in the 80s uh, when we were at Mountain Home. His father was preaching at Flippin, and since then I've been privileged to be able to go over there a few years back and hold a gospel meeting and enjoy being with his family then. Uh, the thing about seeing uh, Joel here is uh, he comes up and it's later than you remember me. Well, I remember him a lot younger uh, than he is now, and uh, that really makes me feel old. And I don't know how many times that's happened where somebody walked up to me and they look down and say, remember me, Mr. Kidwell, you know. Uh, well, when I remember them, you know, uh, I was the one looking down. So uh, uh, things change, but it's always great to see that the things that are changing uh, just have to do with our, our age and our height and maybe our weight but uh, not when it comes to our dedication to the Lord. And it's good to see those from the past who are, who are faithful and working as in the kingdom. Uh, Brother Steve mentioned my father as a minister of the gospel. My father uh, became a preacher because of the influence of my grandfather, who was not a Christian for, uh, for many years. He, he married my grandmother, who was a member of the church, and this was back during the days of tent meetings. And uh, he went to a tent meeting with her. And in those days, everybody from all the different churches in town, they would go because there was nothing else to do. You didn't go to movies. You didn't go to watch TV or the radio. I mean, you, it wasn't there. <laughs> you went and you uh, wanted to hear it was something to do. And that particular night, the brother that was preaching was preaching about the one church, the one true church, and he started naming all the denominations in town and explaining why. Well, it, the reason why the Church of the New Testament can't be this church, this denomination, is because the Bible teaches this, and they practice and teach this. And he just started naming them one by one, all of them that were in that town, and explained how these could not be the church that you read about in the Bible because if it were the church that you read about in the Bible, they'd be practicing what the church in the New Testament practiced and taught. But then they got, then he got to the Methodist church, which my grandfather was a member of the Methodist church, and he said, and this cannot be the church of the New Testament, and he began to explain why. And my grandfather got angry, made him mad. And he went home, and after my grandmother would go to sleep, go to bed, he'd get up and he'd light his coal lantern. 
and he would study his Bible by that lantern every night after she went to bed and he studied himself out of error and became a New Testament Christian and began preaching the gospel. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, if you preach the word in such a way that somebody gets angry, you must have done something wrong. Well, brethren, I know that the Lord said everything exactly right at exactly the right time, exactly the right way, and they still nailed him to a tree. He still, his words still cause people to be angry. So we can't say that if somebody gets angry, it's because of how you said it. It could be that, but it's not automatically that. But I, I would say this. I thank God that that man, that brother, that preacher made my grandfather angry with the sermon that night. Because I don't know that I'd be standing here tonight proclaiming the gospel had my grandfather not gotten angry when he heard the truth. So, and from that, I have much rather when I'm talking to people, teaching them, and preaching to them, or having studies with them, I, I'm always encouraged when they get angry. You know, I'd rather they just be happy that this is the truth and accept it. But if they're not going to just immediately say, make sense, I've been doing it wrong, I need to change. If they're not going to just immediately be happy about it, I'd rather they be angry. Because that means they've got some conviction. And they probably are going to be willing to dig deeper into it. Because folks who get angry, as I say, they're angry because they want to be right. And if their heart is right, then the truth is going to win. It's going to win them over. And tonight we're going to be talking about one of those subjects that have to do with, could, that could cause you um, to have some conversations with some of your loved ones that could be very intense. I do apologize from the standpoint, if you came tonight wanting to hear a lesson on uh, the obedience of faith, I, I preached that last night. Uh, as I was preparing my lessons, it just made sense that that would be the next one, and I did it without even realizing that I did it. So if you came tonight wanting to hear the obedience of faith, you're going to get two for the price of one. If you'll just ask them for a, a CD from last night, you can take that one home and listen to it on your way home, because tonight we're going to talk about uh, salvation by faith. Can a person go to heaven without obeying God? Well, I don't know of a person that believes in God and believes in heaven and hell that would say that it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. And it doesn't matter whether you obey him or not. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9, we learn here that eternal salvation is given only to those who obey him. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22, we purify our souls by obeying the truth. Colossians 3, verse 6, the, the wrath of God will come upon those who do not obey him. So from just these three scriptures that we've looked at, we find out that obedience is very important, that obviously we can't go to heaven if we do not obey God and obey the truth from God. Now, the question one might ask is what constitutes 
obedience because there are those that would say things like, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. It doesn't matter how you worship as long as it's worship in some similar fashion to, to what you can look to the Bible and say maybe this sort of kind of, you know, we all believe in Jesus, so that's the main thing. There are three things that have to be that are required in order for us to obey God correctly. If we omit any one of those three things, then our what we call obedience is going to be rendered useless. First of all, for, to obey, we must do what the Lord has said to do. It's not a matter of is it a good idea? Does it sound right? Does it feel right? We must do what the Lord has said to do, not what some man has written and said, let me tell you that I know the Bible says this, but you know, it makes sense that you could do this instead or do this in addition to. No, we must do what the Lord said do. But secondly, we must do what the Lord said do in the way that he said to do it. And then thirdly, we must do what the Lord said to do in the way that the Lord said to do it for the reason that the Lord said to do it. For example, if the Lord told us to go east and we went west, then we would be disobeying God. We would not be doing what the Lord said to do. If the Lord said, I want you to go east in by traveling by a car and we went east, but instead we took an airplane, we're still going where he told us to go, but we didn't do it in the way that he told us to then we've disobeyed God. Or if the Lord said, I want you to go east and I want you to travel in the car and I want you, when you get there, I want you to start working in the, in the clothing factory. And we went east and we went there by a car, but once we got there, we said, you know, it seems to me like I'll be, it'll be more productive if I go to work over here in this restaurant business and I'll be able to make more money, and I'll be able to do more money for the Lord, and it just makes sense to me that if I do it this way, then I would be disobeying God because, you see, I may have gone where he told me to. I may have gone the way he told me to do, but I didn't go for the purpose that he told me to. So to obey God, it has to be done how he said it, the way he said it, do what he said, how he said it, and for the purpose that he said it. And as I pointed out in the past, it's not a matter of just keeping the rules. We talked about this yesterday. You can pay an atheist to keep rules. So as we talk tonight about salvation by faith, what we're really getting down to is what must I do in order to be saved? And what does the faith? of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, teach us about how to be saved. Well, obviously faith is part of it. John 3, verse 16, we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, what, believes on him should not perish but, what, have everlasting life. So if you believe on Jesus, you can be saved. In Romans 10, verse 11, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So we know that belief is what we must do in order to be saved. Now, what does it mean to believe on him? Even those that say all you got to do is believe have their definition of what it means to show that you believe on him. Well, if 
you got to call on the name of the Lord. You got to say this prayer. Or you got to go through this process. Well, the Bible does talk about calling on the name of the Lord. Psalm chapter 116, verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Calling upon the name of the Lord equal what? The cup of salvation. So you can't be saved without calling on the name of the Lord. Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call on his name and you'll be saved. Romans 10 verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, the reason why I'm going to concentrate on this calling on the name of the Lord part is because the majority of our denominational friends have been taught that to be saved... You need to do what is the equivalent of calling upon the name of the Lord based upon the definition of making some sort of a statement or saying some sort of prayer. That if you will just ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you believe on him and you, and, and you ask him to come into your heart, and if you say this sinner's prayer, then you'll be saved because in doing so you are Talking to the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord. Now the question is, is that the right answer as far as the definition of calling on the name of the Lord? Now if you're here tonight and you're a member of a denominational group that teaches this, what I would like for you to do is just bear with me as we look just to see what the Bible says. And if you're, if you're a member of the Lord's body here, the Church of Christ, and you have loved ones and friends, and this is what they've been taught, then you need to really listen to what we're about to talk about because this is something that will help you in being able to explain to them why it's more than just saying a prayer and why it could not just be a prayer. Let's take, for example, the Apostle Paul. Back before he became a Christian, his name was Saul. We go to Acts chapter 22. And we find here that when the preacher came to him, he, he said, Why tarriest thou arise and be baptized, calling upon the name of the Lord? Now, what does it mean when he said, call upon the name of the Lord? Well, let's back up and look at the story as it occurred. We know that in Acts chapter 22 that Saul is on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, to do what? To arrest Christians. He's persecuting Christians. And while he's on the way, we, he encounters this light, this bright light, a light that's brighter than the sun, and this blinding light, and there's a man standing in the light. And so the first thing that I think any of us would agree is that if you saw a light in the sky, first of all, that's brighter than the sun, and there's a man standing in the middle of it, that this isn't normal. That we're dealing with a supernatural event here. And that the man who is standing in the sky saying your name has to be deity. And so he says to Jesus, who's saying his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? You see, he knows it's deity. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now, how do you think that would make Saul feel about this time? 
He thinks that what he's been doing is the right thing. These Christians, they're going around telling people that you don't need to obey the law of Moses anymore and that it's been replaced by the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so Saul, he's saying, these Christian people, they're a bunch of heretics. They deserve to die because they're, they're telling people to disobey God by no longer following the law of Moses. And then Jesus appears to him and says, you're hurting me. And now he realizes, I've been wrong. Now, how do you think he feels? Well, you know how he feels. You and I would feel the same way. It would be, uh-oh, I have messed up. And so the next thing that comes out of his mouth is, what would you have me to do, Lord? And Jesus said, well, now that you've accepted me as the Lord and Savior of your life, I just want you to bow your head and say this prayer and ask me to come into your heart and you will be saved. No, doesn't say that. Well, is there any doubt in our minds that Saul at this point believes in Jesus? Absolutely no doubt in my mind he believes in Jesus as being the Son of God because he sees him, he's talking to him, and he's saying, what can I do to fix the fact that I have been working against you? I have been sinning. How do I, how do I get this forgiven? And Jesus said, go to the city and somebody else will tell you. You ever thought about that? Because that's what he's asking. He's saying, how can I get forgiveness for this great transgression that I've been committing against you? I want this to be right. I go to the city and somebody else will tell you. Now, he wants forgiveness. Is he forgiven yet? Now, according to our denominational friends that say that all you have to do is believe on Jesus and accept him as the Son of God, you are saved. He already believes, and he's already accepted that, and he's still saying, what do I need to do to get rid of my sin? You say, well, what do you mean? It doesn't really say that. Well, what do you think he's asking? What would you have me to do, Lord? And we'll find out, as we already said here in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, where the preacher said, arise and be baptized and wash away. What? What sins? He's already seen Jesus. He's already accepted Jesus. He should already have his sins forgiven just because of the fact that he believes on Jesus. If calling on the name of the Lord means just belief. So we're saved by faith, but faith involves... More than just a thought process, as we're learning here. But notice that he goes into the city, and Acts chapter 9 tells us that he's, he's been praying for three days. Acts chapter 9, verse 9 and 11, he's been praying. He hasn't been eating or drinking for those three days. And what do you think he's been saying while he's been praying? Now, he's blind. The light has blinded him. He had to be led. And God tells Ananias in the vision, he tells Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus, to the street straight. And, and, and there's Saul who is praying. Now when the preacher gets there, he's been praying for three days. What do you think he's been saying in the prayer? 
Thank you for this beautiful day and my mama and my daddy and my home and my food and my job and my health. And, and you really think that that's what was going through his mind? Jesus just finished saying to him, you've been persecuting me. No, he'd be praying the same thing that you and I would be praying. And what would that be? Forgive me, Lord. Over and over and again, for three days, he feels so bad. He's not eating, he's not drinking, he's fasting, he's praying. Forgive me, Lord. And then the preacher shows up and he says, And now why tarriest thou? Now, you know what the word tarry means? From the Greek, it, it, it literally means to linger. But from, from the way that I was raised, to tarry means to piddle. Quit your piddling. You need to, when your parents said, quit your piddling, did you, did you have any problem understanding what they meant? They were saying, you're wasting your time. You need to get to doing what's the most important. You need to be getting what you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And the preacher shows up and he says, why are you wasting your time? You need to leave me alone. I saw Jesus. He told me that I was persecuting him. And I'm praying I need to be forgiven. And the preacher sees him forgiven. He says, why are you wasting your time? How can prayer be a waste of time, brethren? Unless, of course, God is not going to hear the prayer based upon the circumstances of the relationship. Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins and calling on the name of the Lord. Now let's look at some other places where we see that. In Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, they that, all, they, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. To call upon the name of the Lord included what? Meant what? To serve God. It's more than just a thought process. It's a thought process that includes an act. To call upon the name of the Lord meant to serve Him. Psalm chapter 116 verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? It means to act by offering a sacrifice. So see, what we got to understand here is when we read God saying, you can't be saved unless you call upon the name of the Lord, there is an act that goes along that qualifies it meeting the definition of calling upon the name of the Lord. Let's see if this is consistent with what took place on the day of Pentecost. You remember the day of Pentecost, the apostles, they're there in Jerusalem. They were waiting on the, on the Holy Spirit to come, as Jesus had commanded. They do. And when the, when the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the apostles and they all began to speak in different tongues and, and the languages of the people that were there in the city and they were preaching and they were accused of being drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven and he says, first of all, these men are drunk, as you say, seeing it's only the, the nine o'clock in the morning. And plus they were trying to make fun of them by saying, mocking them, saying, you know, they're, they're drunk on new wine. It's basically saying they're drunk on wine that's not even alcoholic. They're just making fun of them. 
But you notice that what Peter said was, um, this is what the prophet Joel said that was going to take place, that God's Spirit would be poured out in the last days. And then he began to preach about what had taken place leading up to this day. And he says, and Jesus is God's Son. Now, before he gets to the part where he says, you killed him, he quotes what Joel had said. And he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let's, let's remember this. This is earlier, earlier on in the, in the sermon. What you're hearing and seeing is what the prophet Joel said would take place in the last days. And the prophet Joel also said that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter goes along and he says, And you know Jesus, the one that you just crucified, that's the Son of God. And verse 37 says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, What must we do? For what? About what? What must we do? How can we make this right? And Peter said, well, you just need to say a little prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Now here, first of all, let's think about this for a moment. Before Jesus left the earth, he met one last time with his apostles. And he said, I'm about to leave. Basically, this is what he's saying. I'm I'm giving it my own paraphrase. I'm about to leave this earth, and I'm turning the work over to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent, and he's going to help you to remember everything that I've ever taught you and even things that I've never taught you and given you, will give you words to say under circumstances, no matter what the circumstances are, you'll be prepared. Now I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be damned. And they went to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit did fall upon them, and they did preach the gospel just as Jesus said. Now let's remember something here. This is the first time they've ever had an opportunity to obey that command. This is the first time anybody has ever been told what they need to do to be saved. This is the first time anybody's ever asked, what must I do to be right with God? And so they're going to be given the answer. Now, what was it that Jesus told them to do? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But Peter just finished saying just a little bit earlier, when the people said, well, what do we need to do to make this right? Peter just said, weren't you listening? The prophet Joel said that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've already told you that part. Why would you ask me a question that I've already given you the answer to? It's because they understood what it means to call upon the name of the Lord from the standpoint that we got to do what the Lord says to do. Now you tell us what it is that we must do to call upon his name. What must I do? You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, what does that include? Because we know that when we call upon the name of the Lord, there's always some sort of action that goes with it in obedience for it to fulfill the definition of calling upon his name. 
Well, what did Jesus say to do? Preach the gospel. And then what? If they believe it, do what? Baptize them. Why? So that they might be saved. And so what did Peter do? What did he say? He said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission, forgiveness of your sins. Now, is that a contradiction? Because he just finished saying earlier, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No, all he did was explain what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. All he did was explain what was the action that had to take place to, to help them to understand the definition of what they needed to do to call upon the name of the Lord. And so, when Paul is told, when he's Saul at the time, you need to arise and be baptized for the, and wash away your sins. Why? So that you will fulfill the commandment of calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not a matter of just saying, Lord, I, I, I accept you as Lord. He already did that. He already acknowledged that he's Lord. He believes that he's Lord. And the most... As I pointed out, it's so interesting to me that Jesus used a human being, a man, to bring the gospel message to Paul and tell him what he must do. Jesus himself did not tell Paul what he needed to do to make his life right, to become one of God's children. You go to the city and somebody will tell you. And a Christian brother, a preacher came and he proclaimed to him the gospel. And told him what he needed to do to call upon the name of the Lord. Now the question I have for you tonight is. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? You see, if you've not done what Jesus told the apostles to preach and practice. To call upon the name of the Lord. And that is do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Because we know that if you don't believe in him. John 8 verse 24. If you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. You can't go to heaven without believing that Jesus is the son of God. The Bible makes that plain. It's not a matter of just repenting, but Luke 13, 3 says, except you repent or you will perish. It doesn't say anything about believing. It just says repent. And yet, can a person go to heaven just by repenting? There are those that say, well, you go to heaven if you believe. Well, Jesus said, as I already pointed out, unless you believe in me, you cannot be saved. But he didn't say anything about repenting in that same verse. I'm just going to pick the I believe part. It's kind of like a puzzle. When we, when we study God's word, first of all, the thing we have to understand is while we can never do less than what one particular scripture teaches, we may have to do more because of what we learn somewhere else. And I like to approach God's word as though it were a puzzle because that helps me to see the full picture. What do I need to do to be saved? Well, let's look at all the scriptures that talk about how to be saved and let's put them together. And we, when we finish using all the pieces, 
we have the finished picture of what I need to do to be saved. Now, we've learned that the Bible says that we need to believe on Jesus to be saved. There's one piece of the puzzle, but that's not the finished picture. We've heard that we need to repent. That is a piece of the puzzle, and it's not one by itself completes it. And those two together doesn't complete it because we could continue to study. We see that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus said that we need to confess him before men so that he can confess us before his Father. And so if we're not willing to confess him, we can't go to heaven. So I put that in the puzzle. And then we read in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so... It doesn't say anything about confessing or repenting, but there's something else, another piece of the puzzle. And then I continue on and I read here where it says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 that I need to be faithful even unto death to be able to receive the crown of life. And so it's not a matter of just having my sins forgiven, but it's a matter of continuing to live a life that of, of faithfulness to God so that I can go to heaven. Now, Let's suppose that I brought a puzzle to your house that I had a thousand-piece puzzle. Man, I spent a lot of time. This is for your birthday. And I and I put a decoupage cover over it, just kind of slacked it up where it all sticked together, and, and I built a frame around it of oak, and it's just really nice, and I'm proud of it. And I bring it to your house, and I say, I put this together for you for your birthday, but it, and it's finally finished and you look at it, you notice there's one piece missing. And I just keep going, oh, I worked so hard on this, but I finally finished it. And I go on and on and, you know, maybe at first you're not saying anything. And then you begin to think, well, maybe, maybe he doesn't realize. Maybe a piece fell out in the car or, you know. And then you say, is, um, is it possible this piece fell out in the car or something? You know, I, I notice there's a, and I go, ah. No, I didn't like the expression on that girl's face, so I left that piece out. But it's finished. Is it finished? I put it together, so I say it's finished. Does that meet the definition of finished just because I want it? Of course not. We know that just because I don't like something doesn't change the truth. My grandfather didn't like the truth when he heard it. But because he had an honest heart, the truth penetrated. And he realized that he wasn't complete until he had obeyed the plan of salvation. Some people say, Y'all, you people believe in water salvation. No, we believe in the plan of salvation. You see... It's kind of like steps going into a house. We want to get into the house. Our goal is to be in the house. Well, our goal is, as human beings, souls, is to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you show me the verse where it says that we believe ourselves into Jesus or that we confess ourselves into Jesus or that we repent ourselves unto Jesus, you won't find it. But Romans chapter 6, we read about how we're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his death. How do we get into Jesus? Baptized. Now, is baptism the most important thing? No. 
Because if I don't believe in Jesus, my baptism doesn't mean a thing. If I don't repent, my baptism, if it's just a matter of getting somebody wet, you know what I do? I get some of you big guys and we get a truck and we put a big old cattle tank on the back, water trough, and we just go down the road and say, you ever been baptized? Nope. <laughs> well, you're saved now whether you like it or not. If it's just a matter of, of, of getting wet, we can get some people wet. But mainly we're not going to save anybody. We're just going to make them mad. Why? Because you got to believe. you got to obey the Lord. And you got to obey the Lord in the way the Lord said for the purpose that the Lord said. It could be that you're here tonight and you haven't done, you have not called upon the name of the Lord based upon how the Bible teaches us. It could be, though, that you are here tonight and you have become one of God's children, but you've sinned and fallen short of His glory. We all do. We all do. And I've said it, and I'll say it again. God's not as concerned with how many times that we fall down as He is with how many times we get up. And the only way that we can go to heaven after we have become one of His children and fallen short but going back into sin is to call upon the name of the Lord. That's right. And this time, calling upon the name of the Lord actually has something to do with prayer. Because John, over in 1 John, he's writing a letter to brethren, to Christians. And in writing to them, he talks about the fact that, mm, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Truth's not in you. You make God a liar. Well, I've already been baptized. I've, I've heard, I believed, I repented, I confessed, I've been baptized. I had my sins forgiven. And now you're telling me that I still have sin? What am I supposed to do about it? You're supposed to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, how do I take care of that, John? Well, he tells us in First John chapter 1, verse 9, talking to Christians. If you confess your sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You see, calling upon the name of the Lord before you're in Christ means going through the actions, the requirements, the teachings that put us into Christ. You know, I never finished that story about going into the house. You got those five steps leading up to trying to get in the house. Now, if there's five steps, which one's the most important? Trying to get into the house. Well, none's more important than the other, is it? Because if I don't take the first one, I can't take the second one. But the fifth one, that's the one that allows me to go into the house. Well, if you don't take the first four, you can't take the fifth one. So when people say you believe in water salvation, no, we believe in the plan of salvation. Just like I don't believe in fifth step being the only way to get into the house. Because you can't take that fifth step without taking the first four. You can't skip any of them. without. It's impossible to do that. As an erring child of God, there is a need to call upon the name of the Lord by humbling ourselves inside of the Lord. James tells us if we will 
humble ourselves in his sight that he will lift us up. We live in a land and during a time that pride is so much a part of, it seems like, so many people's lives. It's, it's getting harder and harder, it seems, to convince people that pride is going to be their downfall. And that there's really no shame in admitting that we're wrong. As a matter of fact, the real shame is that we wouldn't admit we're wrong. Because out of everything that we spend our time doing these days, how how much of what we do really has anything to do with trying to go to heaven? trying to help others to go to heaven. Now, I understand that we have things that have to be done on a daily basis as far as as just the affairs of life. And by doing what God requires and taking care of our homes and taking care of our families, in that way we are actually being obedient to the Lord and that will help us live in a way that will please God and we'll have a home in heaven. But I'm afraid that too many times we've become content just to limit our spiritual efforts to just me and mine. And I forgot about the fact that my neighbor is lost, my coworkers are lost, my classmates are lost. And the majority, if not everybody that's sitting in that coliseum where I'm at watching this ball game, are lost. And we can get so wrapped up in worldly things like my team's better than your team, and my te- oh, and I'm so upset my team lost, and then I- I've seen brethren upset with each other because they weren't going for the same college team. Somebody wore the wrong color shirt or they got a flag flying in their, on their house and oh, makes me so mad. And God's looking down saying, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't like that team either. <laughs> yeah, we, we know what's most important. We're trying to get to heaven. Now, if we forget that, brethren, we just get we just get caught up in people business, like I talked about yesterday. We forget that the only reason we're here on this earth is to prepare ourselves and to be traveling towards our home in heaven. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people that say, "Yeah, I, I'm I, I want to go to heaven, but right now I'd like to just enjoy staying here as long as I can." Maybe we're like the man that the preacher said, you know, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Everybody but one man raised his hand. He thought, well, maybe he didn't hear. I said, whoever wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. Everybody raised their hand except one man. And so he stopped me and says, 
Brother, do you not want to go to heaven? He said, sure I do, but I thought you were trying to get up a busload to go right now. <laughs> Brother, if we had an opportunity to go right now to go to heaven, why would we not want to go? We need to be living our life as though any day our life could end or the Lord could return. And we say we know that, and we say we believe that, and then we live our life as though it's probably not going to happen. So do we really believe it? If we live our life like it probably is not going to happen. I'm trying to get our thinking up here to a spiritual plane, brethren. I'm just trying to challenge us, those of us who are members of the body. Let's get out of the world and the way of the world's thinking and, and the, the need for worldly things and worldly pleasures and think about going to heaven and wanting to go to heaven and helping each other to go to heaven and taking as many people in this world who are lost to heaven with us because this is what it's all about. Nothing else matters. God's going to burn up everything else. Everything we're working so hard to have, that stuff, one day God is going to burn up. And we're going to stand before him and he's going to say, well, what do you got to show for yourself? Well, back on earth, I was president. Yeah, I burned that up. Well, back at home, I had more money than it. Yeah, I burned that up too. Well, I owned all these. Yeah, that's all gone. Ashes. What's important? Putting the kingdom first. You're here tonight, you're not a child of God. Why would you go home without being one? Because the Lord might return tonight. Your life might end tonight. And the Lord's going to burn this earth up. Are you ready? As a child of God, if your life ends tonight or the world ends tonight, are you ready? You see, salvation is by faith. But that faith involves an obedient action. Are we being obedient? If you need to come respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come now while we stand and sing this song. When we walk with God.